you turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 6 and 1 John chapter 3, we will read from those chapters and then to Lord's Day 46, the Heidelberg Catechism, as we begin our study of the Lord's Prayer, beginning with those opening words, Our Father who art in heaven. We return, first of all, to Matthew 6 at verse 5 to read about prayer and to read what we call the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Surely I, tell, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father, who is in the secret place, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then to 1 John chapter 3, the three opening verses there. First John 3 at verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We turn then to the Church's Confession and the Forms and Prayers book, the Heidelberg Catechism, one of our summaries of the teaching of Scripture. And we want to turn to page 253, page 253. We've considered that prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. And now, as we are taught how to pray, the Catechism follows the Lord's Prayer, and it asks in question 120 on page 253, it says at question 120, Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? And the answer is to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer what should be basic to our prayer a childlike reverence and trust that through Christ, God has become our Father and will much less refuse to give us what we ask in faith than will our parents refuse us the things of this life. And if you turn the page, question 121 asks, Why the words, who is in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly way, and to expect from his almighty power everything needed for body and soul. 
Let's come before the Lord and ask him to bless us tonight. Our Father in heaven, who but you, through your Son and by your Spirit, can teach us the meaning of that address and grant us the faith to believe it, we pray that you'd visit us tonight, that you would train us in praying, that you would increase us, Lord, in faith, that you would convict us where we have misconceived of you, and that you would make us stronger, Lord, as your people, for the glory of your name. Hear us in Jesus' name. We pray, Father. Amen. The Congregation of Christ, life is lonely. I returned to a book by a Dutch pastor about growing older this week, and I, I opened it up. I hadn't remembered that the opening chapter has one word as its title, the word alone, alone. And so Pastor Cornelis Gilheis and his conversations about growing older begins with these words, for many elderly people, life before the door of eternity is a lonely life. And he goes on to explain what he's heard saints say to him. I'm alone so much. They have forgotten me. I don't count any longer. He rehearses how it goes sometimes for men who had a busy job and many responsibilities, but, but now no one seems to need them. Or, or an active housewife where everything sort of revolved around her, but, but now no one comes to see her. He, he discusses what it's like to lose one's senses, becoming deaf and unable to participate in conversation, or blind and unable to see, and the word alone. Loneliness. Life can be lonely. It's not just when you grow older. Children can be lonely if they don't have the friendships they desire, if they feel misunderstood by those around them, if they wonder how they fit in, they feel alone. We can feel alone at work when we take a stand for righteousness and and we're the oddball. We feel alone in many ways. We all feel alone in some ways because there's always something missing in this life. We're not home yet. And this world can seem so cold and callous. We also feel alone because we don't know how it all fits together and because death is always before us. Our Bible study this week, last past week, began to study the book of Ecclesiastes. And and Ecclesiastes in the opening chapter talks about this repetitiveness that the sun rises and the sun goes down and it seems to come back again day after day. And, And the waters stream down and they go to the ocean, but the ocean's never full and the waters evaporate and return to the mountains and Back to the streams, and on it goes. And there's this, what can seem a burdensome repetitiveness to life, an inscrutable repetitiveness. What does it all mean? What's the value of our life? We live, we die. We're like Psalm 103 says, as we just sang, that it's, we're like the flowers, like the grass. We, we rise up, but the wind blows over, and its place remembers it no more. I mentioned a Bible study going back a few years ago to San Diego, California, went to a, a pastor's conference in Escondido at Westminster, and when I rented a car in San Diego, I drove to our old house, actually to our old church, and looked around, and then I wondered if I could find my way to the old house. I used to walk back and forth to school there. If I could find the way, and I did, but I came to the old house, and then sitting there in the car, it just dawned on me that here I was, but nobody here knows me. In my mind, it was a formative time. I was, I'd lived here. I had memories. But if I'd go to the door, nobody would even care. Life, life can be lonely. Trials, too, can make us feel all alone. Who can understand what we're going through? Who can bear the burden for us? Who can carry it? 
Life is lonely. To some people, it's more lonely than to others, perhaps. But everybody knows it. And yet Jesus comes by the word and teaches us to pray, reminding us that we're not alone. We're not alone. We are the children of the Heavenly Father, and we're not alone. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he says, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. Now, I don't want to think about that. Three things. Number one, when you shut the door, you are not alone. And number two, when you shut the door, you do not pray alone. And number three, when you shut the door, you are not alone with your own plans and purposes and ideas. First of all, when you shut the door, you are not alone, Jesus says. That you pray to your Father, who is also there in secret. Your Father. Your Father is there to hear your prayers. He sees and he hears and he cares. We have a Father. He invites us into his presence. He assures us of his love. He has adopted us as his own beloved children. And he doesn't want us to forget that. He not only calls himself our Father, but he tells us to address him as our Father. He wants us to be assured. And in fact, he sent his son to tell us that, that as you begin your prayer, begin right here, our Father in heaven. Don't come to this later on in your prayers. Don't work your way up. Don't leave it for the end. But as you enter into God's presence, begin with this confidence and this assurance that the living God, for Christ's sake, is your Father. He seeks your good. He knows your needs. I'm going to follow tonight kind of John Calvin's unpacking in a few pages in his institutes. He unpacks the Lord's Prayer, and he has a couple of pages on our Father in heaven. I'm sort of following his outline there in some of his language. But he mentions that as we come before the Lord in prayer, at the very threshold of our prayer, we put forward the name Christ. Because who of us could could dare to claim that, that God is my Father if it wasn't that God had adopted us through Jesus. How can we claim the honor? And yet God has adopted us through Christ Jesus, and God wants us to believe that. He wants us to have faith in that confidence. And God gives us this form of address to take away from us any distrust. So we can believe as we enter into prayer that God hears us for Christ's sake. God frees us from our doubts and our fears. There's really... Nothing greater that God could have done to assure us of his love, to encourage us in our praying, than the very thing he's done here, to tell us to address him as our father. John, the apostle John, stands there in amazement. Behold, what manner of love God has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. It's breathtaking. The best father in the world. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that earthly parents do their children good, but your Father in heaven is far greater. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Isaiah 49 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Now, we sometimes think in life that... that 
that our earthly parents are more loving than our Father in heaven because our earthly parents would do anything for us to get the right job or to find the, the spouse that we desire or, or to take away the sickness we have. They would do anything for that. And yet our Heavenly Father, who has it within His power, doesn't give it to us. But we have to remember, of course, that our Heavenly Father knows better. He knows exactly what's best. His wisdom is beyond our earthly parents. And just as earthly parents withhold from their children at times, out of love, so our Father in heaven. And God wants us to trust him then. As we come in prayer to trust him. It's a matter of faith. And if we would run away from our Father instead of to him, then we'd insult him, right? Just as children, if they would run to the neighbor next door for their needs instead of their parents, it would... They grieve their parents. It's the joy of mothers and fathers to teach their children from infancy to call upon them, to say mommy, to say daddy. To It's the joy of parents to meet the needs of their children. Our Father in heaven wants to hear our prayers. And if we say, well, I'm so sinful, God won't accept me. Well, God has bent over backwards, as it were, to assure us he will receive us when he gave us that parable of the prodigal son. If ever there was a son who didn't deserve to be received by his father, it would be a son who who cared so little for his father. He wanted his inheritance. He wished his father would die. And then he squandered on himself. And yet still, his father's arms are open to him as he returns. God does not have a calloused heart toward the tears and groans of his children. John Calvin says there's no... There's no one who's more, that God is more willing to hear than, than the son or daughter returning to him. Just as your own children come back to you in repentance, you're glad to receive that repentance. Our Father in heaven all the more. And if we've lost the wonder of this Father in sight of his love, then, then we ought to, to polish off this address in our minds tonight. And we ought to contemplate what this means, that we are children of the Father above. It does take effort and discipline and perseverance to to grasp and to hold on to the significance of this address. The Puritan Matthew Henry writes that it's an unspeakable privilege. Thus we must eye him in prayer, keep up good thoughts of him, such as are encouraging and not affrighting. Nothing is more pleasing to God, not not pleasant to ourselves, and to call God Father. I thought that was interesting that Matthew Henry would say we have to keep up good thoughts of him. And yet that's really the way it is, isn't it? We ought to, in our prayers, we ought to labor to think good thoughts of God. We can do that in human relationships, right, if we're upset with someone. We can turn that around by contemplating the truth about the person. We can always love our spouse more any day we, we want to, right? All I have to do is think about how good they've been to us, husbands especially. can't believe she loves me. She does all this for me. She puts up with me. It's amazing. If we just stop and think about it. And in our praying, we, we ought to labor to think about it, that God is good, that he loves us, that he's given us beloved for us. We ought to work at saying what John Look what love God has lavished on us. 
It's not some mark of maturity when we're unexcited and unmoved and can be kind of standoffish. It's a mark of Christian maturity when we jump up and down like little children and say, what a wonder. I come in prayer to the one who calls me his father. When you go into your room and shut the door, you're not alone, Jesus says. You pray to your father who is in the secret place. He's already there before you. He's just waiting for you, his child, to call upon him. You're not alone. But then secondly tonight, when you shut your door, not only are you not alone, but secondly, you do not pray alone. You do not pray alone. The Bible tells us that there are three with us. There are three who are with us. Number one, we speak of Christ, the mediator, Jesus Christ. He leads us to the Father. Remember the failed disciples who abandoned the Lord Jesus in his hour of trial. Yet Christ, risen from the dead, says to Mary Magdalene, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. What a soulless that must have been to hear Mary announce that to the disciples. He's not going to his father to turn his back and forever forsake me, but he's saying, I'm going before you, that my father may be your father. I lead you into his presence. I take you by the hand. I take away your sin. First John chapter 2 says that, that That if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate. We have one who's gone before us, who's appeared in the presence of God for us. We have a great high priest who has entered with the blood of the covenant to make atonement for our sins. We have a faithful Savior, an elder brother who, who leads us into God's presence that we may open up our hearts to him. We have a compassionate priest who is tempted and tried, who's suffered in the flesh, who knows what life on this earth is like. And when we pray, he's with us. When we pray, he's guiding us. But secondly, we speak of the Holy Spirit. We also have the Holy Spirit with us. God has given his spirit to help us in our weakness God has given his spirit to help us comprehend something of the breadth and height and depth and width of the love of God for us. This this privilege, which is really the apex of gospel privilege, to have God as your father, that is the greatest thing there is, cannot be embraced or believed by us except by the Holy Spirit. God's given his spirit to lead us to believe. Galatians 4, because you are sons of God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Romans 8, verse 15, you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And when our hearts falter and we we hesitate and we don't believe it, we may pray to God that the spirit would work in us to convince us and to assure us and to correct our fearfulness. So that in our praying, we will glorify God by a faith that believes what he says. That he's our father. That we're adopted by grace through Jesus. 
And when we struggle to pray, then we can rejoice in Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. When you pray, you do not pray alone. Jesus Christ is with you, your mediator. The Holy Spirit is with you, the spirit of adoption. But thirdly, you don't pray alone because you are united to the body of Christ. Jesus says we ought to pray not my Father, but our Father, our Father. And he, in that word, he sets us in the community of the saints, doesn't he? And he reminds us that he's brought us into a praying fellowship of the children of God. We don't pray alone. We unite our hearts and our petitions with the church throughout the world. It's our great joy, isn't it? It's a great comfort that there are people praying for us and we are praying for them. And God sees his whole, his whole family upon the earth lifting up petitions together. And we have a responsibility, don't we? If it's, if it's God's family united to, then if we're equally God's children, if we have but one father among us, if we hold this father in common, then, then we share all things. We're bound to lo- in love to each other. Our father cares about all of his children. Just as if you love any parent, you automatically are obligated to have regard for their children. Just won't do, will it, to get to know someone, to go into their house and to see the pictures of their kids on the wall and, and to have no interest in that at all. No, if you, if you love a father who loves his children, well then you ought to have regard for his children. It's what means so much to him. And as we come to our Father in heaven, he's not impressed if, if we say, I want a relationship with you, but I don't need your people. How could you do that to a father who loves his children? If you love me, you'll love my children too. John has a lot to say, right? If you don't love your brother, you can't love God. And so we are to pray widely. We can't be everywhere in the world. We don't have resources to help everyone financially or Whatever it might be, we can't be everywhere with the spiritual gift God has given us, but we can pray. We can pray for the church across the globe. We can pray for our brothers and sisters. And this is important because Satan wants us to be disconnected. He wants us to feel disconnected. And he wants us to go into the prayer closet and believe that it's, it's me all alone. There's no one else. Either no one matters or no one cares. It's always Satan's effort to disconnect the saints and make them feel isolated. And yet Jesus says, as you begin to pray, remember that I am with you. Remember the Spirit's with you. Remember the saints are united with you. There's a family to which you belong. You may not be self-absorbed. There's a family that's praying for you. You may not say, I'm on my own. You have a people. You have a family. You have a household. You do not pray alone. The Father's Son is with you. The Spirit of the Father and the Christ is with you. The family of the Father, the brothers and sisters of Jesus, pray with you. But finally, when you shut the door, not only are you not alone, not only do you not pray alone, 
But when you shut the door, you are not limited to your own plans and purposes and ideas alone. Think of that in the third place tonight. It's been said that great prayers express a great awareness of a great God. Exalted prayers are born from exalted thoughts about God. G.I. Packer puts it like this, The vitality of prayer lies largely in the vision of God that prompts it. Drab thoughts of God make prayer dull. Jesus tells us to have no drab thoughts about God when he says not just that he's your father with you, not just that he's our father, but he says that he's our father in heaven. In heaven. We ought not to miss those words. God is not just another father. He's the father. He's the eternal father. He's not just like a father. He is the father. He has eternally been the father of his beloved son. He's altogether different. As we come to this father in prayer, how do we treat him? Is he open to criticism? Do we conceive of him as being too busy for us? Can we say to him, you just don't understand me? Are there situations where he just can't help us, though he wishes he could? Do we approach God as our genie in the bottle who who has to do favors for us? Is he our personal maid to fetch us this or that? Is he a handyman who will fix up things where we point them out to him? Is he a builder who, who will get about the project when we give him the blueprints? We have to give him the plans first, and when we get some plans together, then he'll go to work. Well, no. He's our Father in heaven. He's exalted on high. He's majestic. He's not limited in his power, in his greatness. You turn to Isaiah 40, you get a majestic picture of God. He's the one who is above all the nations but a drop in the bucket. He measures out the heavens with his palm. It's a God who's been counseled by no one, who who needs no input from man to rule his world. He is seated in the heavens. Even when his people have ruined something. And remember Isaiah is written ahead of time for the people who will be sitting in captivity because they've ruined everything. And still, and still God is not wringing his hand in Isaiah 40 saying, I don't know what to do. But as you read through Isaiah, he has great plans for his people, even turning desert into the Garden of Eden. It's a God who can fix even what we've broken. And so God's purpose is breathtaking. We're not limited as we pray. As we shut that door, we're not bound up now with just what resources do I have? What thoughts do I have? What plans can I come up with? We're praying to the Father. Majestic Father seated in the heavenlies. As a human father, my plans are limited. I have a hard time making plans. When I do make plans, they frequently have to be adjusted. They break. But God is not a father after my pattern. He is the Father in heaven. His plans are glorious. His plans are unchanging. His plans are eternal. His plans are the best plans in all of the world. God has an exalted purpose. Oh, yes, he's a father who can care about a smashed finger and 
the worries of school tomorrow, but he has a bigger plan than getting you through tomorrow. He wills to get you all the way to a glorious future. John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And then he says in verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we come before God in prayer. We are not limited to our purposes. And our purposes are often for tomorrow or for a week or for a year. God's purposes are eternal, for an eternal well-being of his people. He wants to bring us to where he is, to be like him and to see him as he is, to, to bask in the wonder of his fellowship eternally, to be fit for heaven. Romans 8 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This great praying community saying together, Our Father in heaven is the body of Jesus being shaped and formed, predestined to be made after the likeness of Jesus, that we may be with him where he is, to see his glory and the glory of the Father. God has a great aim. God has a great purpose. God is creating a new humanity, a new people for his glory. Catechism reminds us that as we pray to our Father in heaven, we must not think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly way. We must give reverence to God and acknowledge that he is God and, and we are not. We may not, by our praying, try to turn God into our little errand boy. We must confess that God is good. God is right. His ways are higher than our ways. Psalm 103 says that our lives, earthly lives are brief. We spring up like grass or flowers. The wind blows over. The place remembers it no more. But not the love of God. It's unchanging. It's a lonely world because nothing's permanent. You work so hard on it and then it disappears. You live upon earth and you die and nobody remembers you. But you see, the answer to that is the permanence of our Father in heaven. If our life was built upon our earthly father, then we'd have no hope. Earthly fathers die. But we lift up prayers to our Father in heaven who by his saving grace overcomes death, who in his perfect character is unchanging, who in his living power is never diminished. We lift up our prayers to this majestic God whose will and purposes will stand forever and whose power is infinite to bring us absolutely everything we need we lift up prayers to the control center of the universe where God is. The God who gave his son to be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And who says to us, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place 
and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. The question is, will we humble our hearts? Will we have a lowly and contrite spirit? Do our prayers bow before the king and to acknowledge that he is the Lord and we are not? That he is God seated in the heavens and we are creature, finite, limited, sinful, short-sighted, needy, that he's eternal and unchanging, that he's the ruler of nations, the creator of the world, the God who's coming, and we are utterly dependent upon him with our limitations, our inadequacies, our flaws. He is God. Thomas Watson wrote, Let me especially press you to this. With an eye of faith to look within the veil, And whenever you come to pray to see God in heaven and Christ at his right hand, the great work of faith is to see him that is invisible. And the great duty of prayer is to get a sight of God in heaven and Christ at his right hand. When we know God as the Father in heaven, then we know that ultimately our lives exist for him. And our petitions that so often become so self-absorbed have been turned inside. But when we get a glimpse of him in heaven, then we turn outward and we say, Lord, may you be praised. My life exists for you. The purpose of my being is your glory. And the greatest joy of my heart is that you should be magnified in me. For you are God. And who but Jesus Christ can give us that new heart? turn us from ourselves, and to turn us from our sin. And as we know, forgiveness through the blood of the Lord Jesus, and as his spirit gives us a new heart, then suddenly this lonely world becomes a different place. It's the place where our God is at work, where our Father is busy, where our Lord is doing a mighty thing, to lead his people, to empower them to testify for him, and to keep them for the day of Christ's return, to sanctify them that they may live with him forever. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. It's a lonely world, but we aren't a lonely people. We are not alone. Our Father is there already in the secret place waiting for our prayer. The Lord Jesus Christ is ready to lead us into God's presence. The Spirit is testifying in our hearts, leading us to say, Abba, Father. The church is joining us in prayer, lifting up petitions for one another. And we together are recognizing That God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. So that our own thoughts are not the limits of our petitions. But we may pray for God to do what only God can do. For God to do what only God can know he can do. For God to be God. And in that, we will find our joy and our peace. Let's pray together.
Our Father in heaven, how we long to pray more faithfully. How we long to pray more trustingly. How we recognize before the riches of your gospel. How short-sighted, how unbelieving. How pathetic our petitions are compared to the greatness of our God and the greatness of your love for us in Christ. And yet, Lord, we also see in our lives a beginning. We experience your spirit stirring us up. We cry out to you, to the God who is invisible, believing that you reward those who seek you. We experience answers to prayer. We find delight in unburdening our hearts to you. We thank you, Lord, for the great gift of prayer and for this glorious treasure that we should be adopted as your own children. Would you help us in this week to live up to the riches that are ours in Christ, to know you in truth, to be our Father, to believe what you have promised, to take you at your word, and to pray boldly then with great thoughts of God. Hear us through Jesus Christ and grant us your spirit. In the name of our Savior we pray, amen. Let's sing together number 257, Children of the Heavenly.